0: treat every day like Christmas (laughs) think of what would happen if we did that it would be so much fun and number two there's always room on the nice list (laughs) and of course number three well known to everyone the best way to spread Christmas cheer is singing loud for all to hear (laughs) my son wow that was pretty good you guys did good My son, Owen, uh, was setting goals at school recently. They were going through a process where he's 10, and they were challenging the 10-year-olds to set goals for what's coming in the new year, and and so he set several goals, and one of them was to enjoy church more. Which is a great goal for any normal kid, but especially awkward for the pastor's son. But anyway, I thought it was a pretty good goal, so I think we need to enjoy church more. How about that? All right, get your Bibles out and turn to Daniel, Daniel chapter 6. As you know, we've been in a series called Living in Exile uh, and we're talking through the book of Daniel, we're studying the different stories and how Daniel interacted with really his, uh, his environment as an exile, as a person who was living in a culture that was not his own, that had entirely different uh, paradigms, uh, a different way of functioning, a different thought process. Um, and so we look at, at the story of Daniel and, and we've, been, we've been challenging ourselves to live in an American culture where we are in a post-Christian society, where we are now living as the minority uh, opinion, uh, that, that, that the Judeo-Christian ethic is not the pervasive thought process or worldview And so the question is, how do we live in this kind of environment? How do we live in an environment where people don't know the story of Jesus? How do we live in an environment where there are competing values and ideas much the same way that Babylon uh, was representing competing ideas to the Jewish nation of Israel? And Daniel, as an exile, is um, living out his faith in a way that is true to his core, and I think we have to do the same, and just so you understand that we're not, I'm not, I'm not just making this up, there there are lots of people that understand that we are in a cultural moment in American uh, society, that there is, there are, There are many decisions that must be made by God's people, how we're going to act, how we're going to proceed, how we're going to live out the core of the scriptures in our lives. I was just reading this week at uh, Barna, the, the research company, Um, The research organization, they do studies all across uh, the nation. And Barna did a study this year uh, and releases a whole study every year on faith and and Christianity in America. And they have several studies. Uh, They start out this study with, The Christian church has been a cornerstone of American life for centuries. But much has changed in the last 30 years. Americans are attending church less. More people are experiencing and practicing their faith outside of its four walls. Millennials, in particular, are coming of age at a time of great skepticism and cynicism toward institutions, particularly the church. Add to this the broader secularizing trend in American culture and a growing antagonism toward faith claims. And these are uncertain times for the church in America. You can read about some of those polls and some of those studies at Barna.com if you want to. They're fascinating. Uh, In Austin, I was looking up our city, and so they have several different cities. Um, They they did this study about post-Christian culture in each city, Right. And so there's um, and then they started ranking the cities based on, you know, how they have several criteria on which they base it. And so uh, you can read about that at Barna.com. Austin ends up being the 50th most post-Christian city out of all the cities in America. We're number 50 for 2015. And then uh, they did another study on on churchless. In other words, people don't go to church, they don't have anything to do with church, and we're 49th as a city, 49th in uh, all the hundreds and hundreds of cities in um, American culture. So, so we have work to do. We have, we have a, an important moment for us to come to this place in our history and to be willing to follow what God is doing in our culture because he is active he is, he is not completely silent. The church is not dead, right? We, w- you're sitting here this morning, and the question is, what does God want us to do, all right? So let's pray, and then we'll jump into the scriptures. Father, thank you so much for your word and how the entrance of it gives us light, how revelation comes into our souls as we study together and discuss. Lord, would you speak to us now as we share this together? In Jesus' name, amen. Daniel six, we're gonna jump right in here, verse one, and we're gonna go through this and have kind of some, uh, just a little light introduction to the ideas in this passage, and then we'll we'll study a few things. Verse one says it pleased Darius to appoint hundred and twenty satraps to rule throughout the kingdom. Now, satraps would be administrators, governors, people that would, um, people that would be over certain areas of the kingdom and Darius is the new king. Um, he uh, has come to power uh, from the Medes and, 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 and who have conquered, started to conquer Babylon, and this is many years after um, Nebuchadnezzar, who we studied last week. Belshazzar was Nebuchadnezzar's son, so we've had, we've had a, some, some movement in history as they moved along. Chapter 6 kind of speeds us ahead to King Darius being uh, in charge. Verse 2 says, with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. So Daniel's being put in charge. Daniel has been in Babylon for many, many years. In fact, at this particular time in the story, Daniel is likely 80 years old or more. We're going to talk about Daniel and the lions then. It's interesting. You see a bunch of pictures of Daniel and the lions then. He's very rarely 80 years old in the pictures that you see (laughs) right but he he's 80 81 82 83 years old somewhere in there and so verse 3 says now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities I want you to write that down in your your message notes if you have them exceptional qualities he so distinguished himself among all these administrators, all these governors, all these satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Daniel is about to be in charge of the entire kingdom. It's incredible. Daniel's been here a long time. He came to exile in Babylon at a, at, at a, as a teenager, somewhere in 16, 17 years old. So he's been here a long time and has been consistent in the way he's lived for a long time. Verse 4 says, At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. You should write that down. Neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. I want you to see here that all of the governors and all the satraps and all the the people in charge, when Daniel got promoted, they got jealous. They got mad. They got angry, and they started trying to figure out how can we stop this? Why did they do that? Because this is the culture they lived in. They lived in a top-down, authoritarian, comparison-based, power-hungry, protectionist culture. The only way to get ahead is if you climb over somebody else. The only way you can make it is if you push somebody else aside. The only way you can get power is if you gain power over somebody else. This was the culture. Does this sound familiar to anybody? Daniel refused to live this way. We're going to find that out here in a moment. There's nothing that they could pin on Daniel. They couldn't find anything that they could get in the way that he governed the affairs of the kingdom. And they could find nothing personal. It's like if CNN, the FBI, the CIA, and TMZ went after Daniel. (laughs) They couldn't find anything. They were trying to look everywhere to pin stuff on him. They tried to dig up dirt, but there was none. They wanted to charge him with doing a bad job so they could get ahead. They could finding some failure. They couldn't find it. He was trustworthy. He was not crooked nor negligent. He was not deceitful nor lazy. He was trustworthy. And this is such an important key for us as we're learning today how we need to function in our society. Verse 6 says, So these administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, May King Darius live forever. Suckups. Suck-ups. <laughs> The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, your majesty, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians. That's a famous phrase, by the way. It's a famous phrase. It talks about what is unalterable, what is unrevocable, in the law of their day, and it became a phrase. The law in the law, as it is written in the law of the Medes and the Persians, if it was written down, it couldn't cannot be changed. It cannot be repealed. So, so it says, King Darius in verse nine put the decree in writing. Now, first of all, they lied. Did all of the governors and all the satraps agree? I guess they didn't. Uh, Daniel didn't agree. And then they th- were going to throw, the threat is throwing them in the lion's den. Now lions were a big deal in this day. King, you know, as we look back in history, kings have always been um, kind of predisposed to lions as their kind of representation. That's why you see them in, in the way that they like crafted um, their buildings. You see lions as part of the artwork and it's very royal and so lions were a big deal and and li- kings would often fight with lions and but they they wouldn't necessarily they weren't necessarily going out and hunting them they would cage them or put them somewhere, and then they would go out and fight them, and that would be impressive to all the people, and that would kind of continue to, to build their reputation. So, so the lion's den is kind of a big thing, and everybody understands what it is. Verse 10 says, now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. You should write that down in your message notes. If, you got, if you're opening your Bible and, and you, you're reading along with me, you should underline that little phrase. If your Bible's too good to underline, enshrine it in gra- glass and get a new one. <laughs> underline that little phrase, just as he had done before. Daniel learned of the decree, but it didn't change him. It didn't deter him. He continues as he has for years, praying three times a day. Now, it's interesting. Did, did, the scriptures, did the scriptures say anywhere that you must pray three times a day? If you look through the Torah, if you look through the prophetic writings, you will not find anywhere the idea that Daniel must pray three times a day. Actually, God, I think, if you look at the story of the Bible, even through the Old Testament and the New Testament, you will find that God's interested in every part of your day, not just three times or four times or two times, that he's interested in a relational fabric with his people, not just some kind of duty or obligation, but Daniel had a practice. He had a daily practice that was representative of this relationship. And this is so important for you and I to understand because we're called to these same kinds of practices. This kind of prayer life, this kind of willingness to spend time with God, to do something routinely. This is what church is. Church is a routine that reinforces who we are as God's people. That's why church attendance is actually important because it does something to you, to your heart, to your soul. I know you get up on a rainy Austin Sunday morning, you're like, oh, I just love this blanket. And you think to yourself, oh, Jesus, he'll he'll be right here with me in this blanket. And you would be right. But there are Practices and disciplines that I think reinforce who we are and and I think what 's happened in our culture is we've of we 've kind of emphasized the individualism of religion at the expense of our own soul that there is a community participation here in our culture that we need to, we need to understand and embrace, and we need to understand that god has, wants us to gather together and He wants us to practice things every day so that we know Him, so that He knows us, so that we're aware of Him. I think it's a lot like marriage. I, uh, when I was a young man and just new at work, my, just gotten married, I remember many, many times I would be working really hard all day long I would never call my wife I would never well we didn't really have texting because I'm starting to get really old Um, we didn't have texting but I was really I, I just so consumed I was so driven I was pushing I was driving I was busy I'd stay late without calling I wouldn't let her know where I was I know it's really bad men you can be taught it is possible and I began to learn as a young married man that I have to have some practices that will reinforce the value of my marriage, the relational capital of my marriage. When I come and now I, I, I text and call my wife several times throughout the day, I find opportunity. It's part of my practice. And now it's not like I have to, I look forward to it. Every time I get in the car and drive somewhere, one of my first thoughts is, I wonder how Amy's doing, let me check on her. Every time I get home, we have something we call couch time a lot of times. And kids, you just need to go play, go do something. Mom and dad are having couch time. That couch time is a practice. Does something go wrong in our marriage if we miss one day? No. But it is a practice that reinforces what's important in our lives together. This is what this is for Daniel. And notice, I want you to notice, Daniel isn't going out and broadcasting on his global satellite network, the God News Network, how wicked and evil this edict of the king is. (laughs) He's not trying to convince all his friends to stop doing it. He's not arguing how unconstitutional this edict is. That's not what he's doing. He's just continuing to do what he'd always done. And that is pray. Verse 11 says, then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. I love this. Then these men, so not only do they set the trap, but they're they're getting ready to go catch him. They found Daniel praying and asking God for help. It must mean that Daniel had some public version of this thing. He opened the windows facing Jerusalem, the scripture says, and he knelt and prayed and they heard him asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about this, his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 60 days, or sorry, 30 days, anyone who prays to any God or human being except to you, your majesty would be thrown into the lion's den? It's kind of like these guys go, Daniel, look at him. The king answered, the decree stands in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. There's the phrase again. So the trap is set. Verse 13, then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decree you're put in in writing. He still prays three times a day. And when the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. Why was the king greatly distressed? Because Daniel was disobeying the... No. You know why he was greatly distressed? You're going to see it in the next line. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. He was concerned about Daniel because he was his friend. He had a deep respect relationship with Daniel. He wasn't worried about the edict. He was trying to figure out how to change this thing. And so verse 15 says, Then the men went up as a group to King Darius and said to him, Remember your majesty, that according to the law of the Medes and Persians, there's the phrase again, no decree or edict, the king issues can be changed. These guys are starting to look annoying, <laughs> petty, little, small. Verse 16, so the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. And the king said to Daniel, M- so, so the king says, okay, I said it. It's written. I, have, I haven't been able to figure out a legal way to rescue him if only he would have lived in America. So the king king gave the order and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually rescue you. Notice that the king had exhausted his own human strength, his own ability to rescue Daniel. And now he was being pushed over into the power of God to relying on God and his strength. Verse 17, a stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles so that, the Daniel's, so that Daniel's situation may, might not be changed. They were Evidently, everybody was worried about somebody letting Daniel out, that they had to seal it. And then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him. That was his customary uh, Schedule is he would have lots to eat and entertainment, and he could not sleep. Verse nineteen: At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. And when he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, "Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you could serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions?" You can hear it. He was hoping so. He he was hoping. Listen, listen to me. I think there's loads of people in our culture who are hoping for someone who will live so well and believe so strongly and understand that the God they serve actually has power. They're hoping it's true. Verse 21, Daniel answered, may the king live forever. My God sent his angel and he shuts the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. And the king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. At the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den, along with their wives and children. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. If you had any doubt that these were tame lions, the lions were hungry and they were ready to eat someone. Verse twenty-five. Check this out. Then King Darius wrote to all the nations and peoples of every language in all the earth. May you prosper greatly, he says. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His domin- dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus. The person. Listen, this ending part should not be overlooked. You got to see that the influence of Daniel reaches far and wide. That there is a witness that Daniel has created in his own life and his own heart and his own practices that, that stretch to the farthest parts of this kingdom. And I think we have to look at this and understand how important it is because throughout this series, we've been talking about influence. We're talking about influence, but in both a positive and negative influence. If we look at influence, there's a, there's a negative aspect. In other words, how do we keep from being influenced by Babylon, or in this case, by Austin and its seductive powers? How do we keep from being influenced? And then secondly, why, um, how do we continue to exert influence in the place where we live how do we how do we exert some kind of influence in our city and it's terrible to just think I have no power I have no influence I have nothing that I can do but here let me make an important distinction we're not really talking about power we're not really talking about power, we're talking about influence. Power is top down, power is against people's will, power is forcing people to do what they want. you want them to do. Influence is center out, it comes from the inside out, it's not based on a position, it's based on a person. Influence is based on a person, it's based on what's going on inside the person, it's not coercion. It's getting people to do something out of their own free will because they want to. This is the influence we're talking about. How do we navigate this? Because you need to understand the true Christianity, the faith that we own as God's people, it never participates in coercion. You can't coerce anybody to do what you want them to do. Nor does God coerce you to do what he wants you to do. You've got to understand this. One of the most powerful forces in the universe, I think it's second to only God's power, is the power of your will and my will. God gave that to you because there's the only way you can actually have a relationship with him is if you choose. It has to be a real relationship. If it's not, if it's not your power, your, your influence, your, your will deciding something, then it doesn't work. So why is this the way that Jesus works, right? What, how does, what is this? It's precisely because this is not the way of Jesus. This is not the way of Jesus to push people, to force people, to coerce people. Jesus, in his way, has to do with surrender. It has to do with in, not enforcement, but permission, Jesus' way is permission-based. It's permission only. You can't decide to disciple anyone unless they give you permission. Jesus doesn't form you and shape you and mold you unless you give him permission. This is the thing that makes him God, of course, because he is sovereign. And so his power is over all and in all and through all. That's how, kind of how the scriptures teach it. But listen, he... That's, this is the mystery part of God. How does that work? It works through influence, not through top-down power. Very few of us. And when you think about this. When you think about this. Very few of us have the kind of culture or influence that that influences culture with a capital C, like 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 what happens out there in our in our environment in a broad-based cultural way. But all of us can influence. Cultures, or in other words, we'd call it our sphere of influence. All of you have a sphere of influence, but some of you will be called. There is, a, there is a, an opportunity that all of us have as we begin to think about influence to figure out how we're going to participate in what's going on in our culture at large. I'll give you an example. Martin Luther King was an influencer. He moved our country forward in the civil rights moment where we needed to change our laws. His his passive influence, not his direct power, but his influence changed people's minds. um, A person like Gandhi had influence. A person like a, a musician, an artist an entertainer. They have, they have influence. They don't make people listen to their music. People just want to. How do you do this? There's a book called uh, "To Change the World" by James David Hunter, and he here's what he says. He says culture is not changed or shaped by the masses. The world is changed, and culture is shaped by what he calls. It's terrible wording. I don't really love it, but but it's, he calls it the elites. The elites, which is men and women who are unusually wealthy or well-placed in society in key roles in culture, in arts, in politics, in entertainment. And we see this happening everywhere. We see this happen. One of the best examples of it in our modern moment is the LGBT community who has influenced our entire nation in a way of thinking. And and it's interesting because they're just, they're just an interesting study because about gay population, 1.7% of the population is gay. About 4% would be what we would include in LGBT. About 4%, that's what all the statistics tend to say. I know you think it's everywhere, don't you? It's everybody. No, there's just well-placed people in arts and entertainment, even in politics, who are just influencing a way of seeing. Now, let me pause here. Just because I use this as an example, you and I are called to love every person, no matter where they are, no matter where they come from. And we, we get the re- reputation of all the angry, crazy people out there. We're being lumped in with them because the people that are influencing culture are lumping us in. But you and I have to resist this. You and I have to become the creative nor- minority we've been talking about where we love the people, the next door neighbor, love the coworker, love them with our lives, with our hearts, with our prayers. We love them just the way they are, and we, re- and we rely on the work of the Holy Spirit in their life. Do you remember what I said? Nobody can be forced into anything. We can't force people to live like we think they should live but we should own the scriptures and then we should love people so well that suddenly they are interested. What does this mean for us at One Chapel? Well, some of you need to become elites. Some of you need to go to UT and finish your degree and become the mayor of Austin. (laughs) some of you need to become the head of the philosophy department at UT some of you some of you really need to hone your craft and and develop musically so that you become a real artist that's an influencer in our culture Some of you need to do that, and when you do that, I want you to know at one chapel we're going to be totally behind you. We're going to we're going to be cheering you on every step of the way because we need more influencers. One of the major mistakes of our history in America is we sent the best and brightest to Bible school instead of to film school. It's a mistake. We, so we ended up with people pastoring people that had other gifts that they needed to, they needed to be enthused by the Holy Spirit to influence culture. So we're going to be behind you. But secondly, what we need to understand at One Chapel, what we need to understand in who we are, the rest of us need to pool our collective influence and cross-pollinate every segment of our society, every part of our, uh, of our um, culture, not... For power not to make people do things, not to Christianize, but to influence, to bring Jesus's kingdom to bear in human, in humanity, in human flourishing, because his way is the best way. And we believe that. And so we're seeking the peace and prosperity of our city with Jesus. Here's three things I want to give you, and then we'll we'll end here. Three components of Daniel's influence. One was excellence. Look at verse 3. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities. You can underline that. That the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Look, this is his work ethic. This was his talent. This was his ability to do a job well. Chapter one talks about it, how Daniel and his friends were 10 times better than everybody else. Listen, listen, one chapel. Listen, we gotta become, we gotta become experts at what we're doing. Your reputation at work needs to be excellence, not shoddy. Not, not, not work that's suspect. But we need to become craftsmen, artists, musicians, gurus, whatever it takes to, to be a person of excellence. Whatever, the scripture says, whatever your hand finds to do, do with all your might. Colossians 3.23 says, work willingly at whatever you do. As though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Get your perspective right. There's a business book. It's, it's based on a Steve Martin quote, but it says this. It says, be so good, they can't ignore you. <laughs> be so good, they can't ignore you. You know what this is? This is what Malcolm Gladwell calls the, the expert, 10,000 hours of, of investment in a craft. This is so important. Number two, Character. Excellence, then character. Verse 4 says it this. The administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. So they, f- they could find no corru- corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Here's what I'll say about this. Character is our destiny. Character is your destiny. Your character will determine your destiny. This is why having the imprint of Jesus in your soul and in your heart is so incredibly important because that's going to determine so much about your future. And we've, in our culture, we've thrown off external authority. We've placed it with our own internal authority. Our personal feelings are the arbiter of everything that we think and what's true and what's not true. The idea of being true to yourself. Have you ever heard that? Man, it's like everywhere in our culture. Just be true to who you are. Actually, sometimes that's the worst advice. <laughs> you, you want the, you want the serial killer to be true to who he really is. It doesn't make any sense. This comes from a phrase in Hamlet, uh, the 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 incredible play of. Um, Who's the guy? Shakespeare. Shakespeare. (laughs) I couldn't think of it right at the moment. Shakespeare. I could think of Hamlet, but I couldn't think of Shakespeare. Shakespeare writes this: "Be true to thine own self. Be true." It actually in the play that guy ends up being a fool. Nobody remembers that. Number three, faithfulness. Well, before I go there, let me just say: be on time. Work hard. Serve well. Let your character shine through. The gap between your public and private life is so important. It needs to be continually narrowed. The gap between your public and your private life needs to be continually narrowed until they're one. There's no difference. For Daniel, there was no difference. You should write that in your notes. The gap between your public and private life, it keeps narrowing. Jesus keeps working on your life until there's finally no difference. You're the same way in prayer that you are at work. You're the same person in the way that you live out your life and your family as you do in work. Number three, faithfulness. The king said to Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually rescue you. If you unpack the grammar of that little phrase as you look at it and study it, you will find that the grammar indicates that the king is talking about a long period of time over and over and over again. And that would make sense because he's 80 years old. He's watched it. He's observed it. Over the long haul, Daniel was faithful. Look at First Peter 2.12. Whoops, I, I, I got to skip that. I, can't, I don't have time for that. Let's, let's, let's keep moving here. We can never speed up relationships, parenting, or character building. Listen, we live in a microwave society. We, live in, we just want to finish things so quickly. We want everything to be, technology has trained us that we can do things as quickly as we want to do it. But there are some things in life, there are some things in our culture that can never be sped up. And this is why deliberate practices are so important, like praying three times a day. Hey, in our new year, 2017, we're gonna do 21 days of prayer. And we're choosing 21 days, January 1 to 21, on purpose, because we want to give God the first part of our year. But in addition to that, we want for him to have a, we wanna have a habit where we're interacting with him so consistently that this public-private gap is narrowing, that our faithfulness is encouraged, it's built, it's, it's, it's aggressively pursued. And that 21 days, I want you to be thinking about January being this moment where you're going to commit to this, these practices where we're gonna, we're gonna see God work in our lives. If I could recommend a book to you, here's what I would, I would say. There's a great book about spiritual practices and the right way to think about them. And it's called The Life You've Always Wanted, Spiritual Disciplines for Ordinary People by John Ortberg. The Life You've Always Wanted, Spiritual Disciplines for Ordinary People by John Ortberg. Pick that up. Because here's here's what we're doing. We're not trying to do this in our own power. We need God's strength, God's influence in us. Daniel has a very specific type of influence, right? He's not just being an influencer like he's a cool guy. Everybody likes Daniel. Everybody thinks he's awesome. No, that's not it. He has a very specific thing. You know what it is? He is a witness to Yahweh, a witness to God Himself. When people see Daniel, they see God. We're not talking about media hashtags. <laughs> we're not talking about a bullhorn to tell the story of John three sixteen at every sports game. We're not talking about. We're not talking about all these things that are, seem to be trappings in our our culture of ways that we're trying to tell people what the answer is. What I want to challenge you to do today is look at Daniel and to think about what he did. When you think about your friends, do they know what you really believe? The people next door, do they understand who you really are? In your classroom, is there a, is there a witness that you are to them? Other parents, kids on the on the soccer team, um, I'm, uh, you know, you, you you're you're like you're like this person that's sitting on the sidelines with those parents and the kids are playing. Can, can, do they know? I think we've lost our lost sight of what we must do. Here's a here's a helpful little. Uh, kind of a a, a acrostic here that we've embraced at one chapel and it's how do we become a witness here it is you begin with prayer you start praying for whoever it is that you want to be an influencer in their lives you begin with prayer you pray for them prayers about blessing prayers about encouraging God's peace and strength and love to come into a person's life then you got to listen to them you got to listen to them you got you got to you got to open up your ears you have two ears and one mouth listen to them then you got to eat together you got to you got to share you got to commune with them you got to connect with them in a, in a way that is so um, relational you got to let them into your world and they have to let you into their world you got to serve their needs spot their needs and then go get them Whatever they need, whatever's going on, if they need help in the yard, if they need help with their kids, if they need help at work, you're looking and trying to serve their needs and finally there will come a moment, there will come an incredible opportunity, it will come and you'll spot it, you'll see it coming a, a hundred yards away and there it is, you're going to share your story. You're going to share your story of Jesus. So close your eyes and bow your heads. I want to ask you, what do you have faith for today? What do, you, what do you, who do you have faith for t- to be a witness in their life? If you think about their name right now in your heart and your head, I want you to, I want you to consider really zeroing in on praying for them. It's important also for us to take an inventory of our own hearts and realize that, that some of us, are, we're just scared, we're just scared to say anything, scared to be lumped in. Every, the pressure's going the other direction. Everybody's just saying, look, chill out, dude. Just, just relax, would you stop? Like, like don't, 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 don't put pressure on people, right? Just conform, if you would. Stop being resistant, right? There's, there's this Environment that's around us, I wanna encourage you. I wanna encourage you today to make a decision. And when you come to this table that we're just gonna, we're gonna come to the table of the Lord and I want you to be willing to leave all your fears at this table. I want you to come and be willing to leave all of your past, your foolishness, your your failures right here. Because Jesus wants to take you and he wants to transform you and he wants to change you and mold you and shape you. He wants to encourage you. He wants wants you to flourish as a human being. He he has a a really good plan for you and purpose for your life. Would you be willing to come to this table and receive the life that Jesus has provided? He died on a cross. His body was broken. Sin, Sin, our sin was placed on him. He took it. He took our place. All our failures and foolishness, he took them so that we could be forgiven, healed, washed. The cup represents his blood. The bread represents his body. Would you come and leave what you need to give up right here and then receive what God has for you? Father, we just pray that you would speak to us now. Show us who you are, what you want us to do, how you want us to to proceed in our own cultures that we influence, our spheres of influence. Lord, would you show us, would you direct us, would you you lead? In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to come to the table. If you're um, part of One Chapel, of course, you know this, but for those of you who are not, we practice open communion, which means... It's available to everyone. Jesus set this table. Um, but if you're uncomfortable for any reason, please don't feel pressure. Just walk through the line so people don't have to step over you, all right? And you can go back and sit down. and We'll just worship while this is happening, okay? All right, let's start to your right, every section with a station in front of it.